Hey, how's it going? Can you see me? How are yeah, you doing? Okay. Not too bad, not too bad. So how are things? Uh, where are you based? I'm in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, which is on the east coast of the US. So uh, ah. I guess, um, are you in, uh, on this side or on the other side of the ocean? I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm on the other side of the ocean. I'm, Bel I'm in Belgium. Yeah. Okay, well, look at that. <laughs> so a few hours difference. So for you, it's probably off afternoon. Yeah, it's it's fifteen thirty-two now. So yeah, towards the okay. <laughs> look at us. <laughs> You're just getting started, right? Kind of. I I, I was doing my morning meetings. Uh, we, we actually have team members in in the Ukraine and in India. So I talk to them early in my morning time. And, uh, you know, as we slide through the day, I talk to the people here. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and how does that work? Like, you know, do, especially at this time, I'm sure it is, it is perhaps the same ritual for you. Um, not much have perhaps changed for you in that case? We, we were virtual to begin with. So the, uh, we had office space before, um, which we just didn't have sufficient number of people in any location for us to uh, justify it. So we actually had uh, switched to a full virtual model um, before the crisis hit. So for us on a day-to-day -day work um, day basis, and not much changed. Obviously, our private lives completely <laughs> uh, were, you know, were rearranged. Uh, but work-wise, we were we we were early on trying to figure out how to keep people engaged, how to keep a meeting rhythm that didn't annoy people but still keep communication channels going. Our tools were already doing the things that we were doing remotely. So uh, you know, most of us being coders, it wasn't a big deal. Um, you know, to like, okay, you know, pull somebody's code, comment on it, you know, make the deployments happen, jump on a quick conference. All these things were already happening for us. I think the, the rest of the working world discovered in, in a shocking way that uh, work is possible when you're not in a given location. Um, yeah. I, there, you know, there are other facets, of course. I think the, where we struggle and everybody else is struggling is basically how do you keep a team cohesiveness going? How do you keep people motivated when, you know, when they don't see and socialize with each other all the time? Um, how do you break barriers when you bring new people on board or, uh, you know, have big changes that require that you also have the human connection? These are things that I think um, businesses now have pay, pay more uh, attention to. And, um, you know, I think this is going to be the new reality going forward. Even when people overcome the COVID crisis, I think they now have an idea that work is possible in new ways. And we see the impact here, at least. But uh, and I don't want to just you know rant on if that's not really part of the topic. But yeah, yeah. Uh, no, we, we we see things. You know, I just read this morning about um, uh, rental prices in Manhattan, one of the densest population uh, populated areas in the U.S., dropping because people are moving out. They're like, why am I supposed to be here, suffering through all the pain and the expense, when I can live, let's say, out in the country with any, without any of the stress and headaches, and people are moving out they're realizing work and the work paradigm doesn't have to um direct their private life and so the other you know where people were congregating in the cities and depending on you know, that that was where the opportunity was right so you know if you're looking at the development historically cities were the economic engine of many uh, of a region 
and that's why people would you know stream towards them um, the what what qualifies a work the definition of work and what you're doing allows you to go reverse now you can go into uh, into a rural community and still be an effective quote unquote contributor to the organization you're participating in without suffering the physical density if you don't like it right and and indeed like that's that's been the trend here as well uh, i suppose you know more, most likely um most of the companies that that you know like you said um perhaps are in a shock like who are used to meeting clients in the office space and you know i, I still i still feel like you know we miss out that uh, human to human interaction sitting close by and and fighting with each other right so it's just brainstorming about you know new challenges and, and trying to trying to prove a point perhaps right yeah yeah friend friend frenemies and enemies that you keep <laughs> keep track of <laughs> yeah I, I i miss those moments as well but but like i said you know i, I it's completely possible to just stay home and, and and do your things and and still make a difference so so this is where we are at um let, let's let's maybe begin your your own uh, journey you know okay uh, why, why, why an entrepreneur? Like, why do you, oh, why you, yeah, and I want to go really deep, you know? <laughs> yeah, like, you want to go way back, deep way back. Why do you, so. <laughs> sure. So why entrepreneurship, right? Oh, boy. Um, I've been an entrepreneur a long time, uh, and, and uh, I solidly belong into the group of unemployables. Uh, because I am too, um, I'm too frank for my own good. And, 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 yeah. and I understand that. I've actually worked with a lot of large enterprises throughout my journey. And I think it started early on um, when I had a, a stint in a, let's say, software research of a large company. And I hated every moment of it because we were producing such great stuff and convincing um, a hierarchy of whatever, 30, 30 40,000 um, people company that what you're doing is innovative and cool is basically fighting against uh, you know like the snowstorm or something it, it just wouldn't work I said I can never do this again um, and so I went back to school got a graduate degree and I said you know what I need to do uh, do my own thing in tech and um, my graduate degree was actually in international business and my uh, school advisor you know the person that's supposed to help me find a job after graduation his advice was like you know, you spend all this quality time, you, you, you get in this education, you should work for a big company. I said, that's exactly what I don't want to do. <laughs> so I have this, I have this idea, you know, like, you know, working in technology. And at the time that wasn't really hot, you know, technology to people in, in, in business was data center operations. That was as technology as it got. Right? So, you, and they said, that's not really what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about, you know, creating things that makes people, you know, uh, do things faster, do, you know, operate better, basically uh, surrounding themselves with things that make their lives better. Anyway, the advisor's words were, uh, you're going to look for a job in six months. <laughs> that's stupid. Don't do it. Um, so <laughs> me and my roommate at the time, um, we were like, no, we're going to do things on our own, even, even if it's not technology related. So we really started uh, creating our small business at the time as a, um, uh, as a purchasing aggregator for uh, doctor's offices. We found, a, a, I think, a gap in the market and said the way this process works is inefficient. So we developed a solution for it. And so that's how we started our first business at the time. 
and you know i don't want to necessarily go on the first one obviously every iteration you learn and i think eight iterations later <laughs> i'm at at, at scooby <laughs> but in, in 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 between you know i did probably uh wholesale i did consulting i did software products i did financial services um and every time i basically started from scratch with nothing but but yeah. but an idea that was worth about as much as you know, uh, money I had in my pocket and you know, the coffee I could buy and trying to make something out of it because that's how I tick, I like to create. So this, 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 this driven to create kind of uh, uh, motivation is what always uh, you know, makes me tick or makes me get out of the bed. So what can I do today that's different uh, innovative or it doesn't have it just makes somebody's life easier somebody told me a problem yesterday said how could I solve this and that's just that, that mindset always going on how can I productize it how can I build services around it um, that could help the person or persons or businesses doing that so that's how I was been doing it and you know early on it was called small business it was not called entrepreneurship um, the idea that you would jump out of school to do this was completely crazy out of you know you know, why would you spend money and time learning uh, uh, all this big business stuff to jump into small business? Mm -hmm. um, it was not understood. I think that if you compare environments uh, in, in favor of entrepreneurship today versus I, I think when I, I might date myself going to college about 30 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Well, so they are very different, vastly different. The, the understanding of that a, a small business can make a difference and can produce valuable products, can actually uh, help the community was not a given. People were doubting that. The only, only people that could produce solutions in their minds were big businesses with a lot of capital. That's the only way you could in, in impact change. I'm not saying it's wrong, but I think we've also proven that uh, other forms are possible. And that's, that was my journey in a, in a I guess, in a uh, put a little bow around it type of stuff. There's many years of stuff to cover, but I've been an entrepreneur one way or the other throughout my career because um, that's what I love to do. I've worked with large businesses. Um, I've you know, created actually global financial networks that only large businesses used. Um, you know, I implemented products from some of them multiple years because stuff that we've developed over time. Um, in the largest businesses in the world, but I did not want to be part of that organization because that's not where I see myself uh, uh, succeeding long term, or even wanting to be. <laughs> you know, it's just I think a person, <laughs> it's a personal preference. I don't, you know, is I don't want to come across as I'm judging them to be bad or good. I think it really depends on the individual and where are, where they are in their life, and as well as their preferences, where they are happy, and and their you know, very dear friends that are very happy working for large banks or large banks that I know personally. And, you know, I am the other way. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, true. Uh, and and uh, you mentioned like you, you work in a different iterations and maybe there are different ideas that you work through, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I'm sure there are some great ideas and, and, and maybe at, at the beginning, you also thought each of those ideas were awesome. Yes, we, uh, we, all have that, we, all, we all have that myopic look of like, this is the best idea since sliced bread in, you know, in US terms. Uh, and you go like, holy moly, this is really bad. Why did you do it? Um, and, and, and that's one of the challenges of any given entrepreneur, I would say. Yeah. 
and even technologists um, is to see when to stop. Even, even, if you're, even if you're marginally succeeding, maybe you're better off not continuing. And that evaluation is one of the hardest to make. And you know, I have my difficult visit. I've seen other people struggling with it. When, when do you say this was really a truly horrible idea and um, you need to do something else um, with your time? Mm -hmm. So how, when, when do you want to um, say, okay, this is it? Like when do you, when do you draw a line? Uh, I think there, there are several criteria you can apply to it. Uh, one of uh, the obvious one is the financial one, right? So it's like, okay, I'm putting X number of money in it. I'm not getting that return. We got to stop, right? So this is basically the curve. You're running out of cash. Um, the other one I think is the, to me, is the social impact or community impact curve. Is what you're doing make a difference? And make a difference in people's life and how many people are impacted by it. So if I stop today, we're with 10,000 people having to figure out some other way of uh, you know, finding the next food item or uh, the next way of protecting their data. Or, you know, there's impact in, in that, in that in the way you go like make you hesitate a little bit. Um, and I think also your personal opportunity cost comes into play. If I, you know, I'm working on this idea, but I have this other super idea that I can't work on because it's not possible at the same time that I'm giving up. So I think it's very kind of like a triangle. You have to align that little dot to fit right into uh, your decision matrix. And uh, that's why it's so difficult. If it were easy, you know, like, hey, you know, uh, and, and this, is, this is some of the, I guess, the, the lore out there, the... the the legend that you know you, you turn stuff around in let's say 90 days and boom your startup is great and you know you, you you're the next unicorn or you need to jump off yeah. um i've seen that with you know friends that i have that 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 are in the uh, silicon valley area where you know you jump from one startup to another another basically you, you give it three months you give it four months and if they don't have sufficient traction in that period they suck <laughs> and, then I, I, they, <laughs> and then we have yeah, to leave. Yeah. Um, you know, that's really not how it works. That's not my experience. And maybe I'm, I'm not experienced enough, who knows, but I know that many ideas require multiple iterations, multiple repositions, and it will take probably a lot more than 90 days or, uh, mm -hmm. you know, um, I think many of them in order to come to a, better decision will require 18 to 24 months. I think that gives you a better handle on it. Some may even take longer, you know, some, some hardware um, concepts will require a lot of time and effort for you to make a decision. They may go into 36 months, may go into five years. Um, so this, this is why I'm saying this is one of the hardest decisions you can come up with or trying to quantify in a way where you can say, that's the point I'm going to stop. It, it is not as clear. I think, you may wake up one day and say, okay, that's it. Or you may set yourself a, your own goal. If nothing happens in this fashion, I'm going to stop doing this. Um, so everyone has to make their own decisions for that. I, and that, you know, I hope that gives you as, as much clarity as I have. Someday. No, no, no. Indeed, <laughs> indeed. Uh, the thing is, what, what I found, you know, fascinated with entrepreneurs is, um, uh, you know, one of the one of the common trait I would say is is being hard headed, right? So uh, this is a very common trait, and and like you said, you know, to say okay, this is it. It's difficult for a lot of entrepreneurs. 
and uh, with your experience, you know, you, you said, okay, you know, it might take a certain amount of time. And for the people who are just starting, perhaps they don't know, you know, they don't know when to start, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's and, like and, if, I, if I could, you know, uh, look at what I can do and, you know, work for somebody, let's say for a year, that's an opportunity cost you have to put into your calculations. Mm -hmm. If I make X number salary in a year, that's 12 times X I wouldn't have. But I at the same time have to spend uh, Y in order to keep this business afloat or running to a certain degree. So those both together build an opportunity cost element in your calculations, mm -hmm. not just the spend that you're doing against your startup. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And, and maybe then uh, let's talk about the, the, your own startup a little mm -hmm. bit and then maybe try and, and, and to explain in terms of the value okay. that you are offering, you know, not in terms of what it does, but then the, the kind of value that it, it can offer to a person like me. Sure, sure, sure. So um, I founded Scooby, I would say about three and a half year, years ago, kind of on the sideline because it was an idea. Right. So yeah. the, and the idea is to look at how I as an end user can impact the dissemination of my data and the control of it once I had given it to somebody else. Um, and what we were seeing out there was insufficient. Right. So um, basically large corporations had all the control of all the data they ever asked of you. Right, so if, if, you, if you had given it away, it was basically thrown, uh, thrown across a big, uh, big wall. You had no insight what happened afterwards. Yeah. And um, that led to a lot of surprise discoveries, you know, I think in, in, as people moved along, you know, if, if, if you're thinking of uh, the data breaches that happened to Equifax where people like, oh, they had my data, who knew? And, and, and uh, um, the paradigm that we came up with as Scooby, we call it, a, a personal privacy platform was for people to be able to engage with companies, actually direct the use of the data as well as control the use of the data over life. Basically, if the, if the company wanted to use it for a different purpose, they could ask for it. There was negotiation going on in a, on a continual basis because um, what we found through um, our research is that privacy today uh, for you is not what privacy is for you tomorrow. You might, you know, you, you might uh, have uh, a family that's growing, they have different needs versus somebody that's older versus somebody that's younger. I think you, the idea was that you, you should be able to renegotiate what the control of your data means, what people can do with it in any of these life stages. That was the idea. So we, we came up with that idea, said, okay, um, we can put this in, but where's the monetization? Well, the monetization for that was more long, longer term. As we were seeing um, more people being part of the platform, there are elements that could be clearly monetized, like you could negotiate a rate for the use of data. Um, and obviously the companies could pay for it. And then later on, we actually built an inside engine where they didn't even have to... Um, get the data they could just ask for insights basically how would a certain population react to these messages and we just give them the messages rather than having them collect the data in the first place so it basically makes it safe and secure some of the legal changes there were also good for for the european market but what we found and this is where the pivoting started and all that stuff is we were targeting um and and customers the uh, the people that have the least leverage <laughs> and 
um, what we also find is that people are, you know, liking the ideas as concepts, but they can't or will not necessarily pay for them. So we are like, okay, people love it. We are technicians. We don't market very well. So, you know, we have to rely on, 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 on word of mouth, but um, they are reluctant to uh, go and share that with other people because they don't, they don't necessarily want to come in as and saying, Hey, I'm protecting everything. I'm, and especially in the U S I'm squeamish about squeamish about privacy. When we started um, it, it, it wasn't a topic that resonated. I think it has changed quite a bit, um, even uh, in the last 12 months. And when we look over the last 24 months, the, the attitudes quite changed quite drastically as well. But we also got COVID, which basically, <laughs> basically <laughs> you know, for, for a lot of the stuff that we do that allows people to manage their data exchanges, manage a breach uh, interactions, manage, for example, on a personal level, if you had um, any trouble to report against agencies, so you, you didn't have to go search where these things were. You could actually use one centralized place to manage this. Mm -hmm. um, uh, it was just not a, a, a burning thing in the US where we are mainly located. And, and, and in Europe, what we found is we, we, our messaging was convoluted because we were trying to say we're doing too many things, which we were doing, but I think the, the, the people that were more focused, and that's basically saying, I only do uh, reporting against companies, which is one of the things we do. Oh, I only do reporting for uh, uh, two agencies about problems, which actually nobody quite does like we do still to this day. Um, these things as a spot on, or, or as a focused message resonated better than as a saying, I'm doing everything under the sun, which we, I think, as, as producteers, I would call us producteers rather than marketers, had a harder time expressing. So even though I believe that the value was clearly there uh, and is still there on the individual use case, if individual user signs up, um, it's just harder for us to express and push through the buzz of messages that flies around on the internet and we can't afford to spend the, the uh, marketing dollars to break through, if that makes sense. Because we, we, we tested certain marketing approaches and it just would take so much more than what we would potentially return on that investment, especially since most of the products are free so, <laughs> and don't have advertising. So you look, yeah. okay, so I'm trying to give you something away um, in the hopes that I can make a product life cycle that can build on later is was a hard sell, especially um, even for companies. We, we offer things for managing their in, ingress of data, and their, uh, I guess, their interaction with their customers when it comes to, let's say, hey, I promote, I have your email address, may I use it for something else? Or when you said, hey, give me all the data you got. We had automated tools for companies to use free of charge. So we built a lot of stuff as a free ecosystem. Um, we wanted to build on top of that, but um, what we found out is if we cannot continue in that fashion, because if you have nobody converting or not sufficient amount of people wanting to convert for paid services, it, it will drive us under. It just wouldn't work. So what, what do we do in a business when, when you see that the current approach doesn't work? you pivot, <laughs> right? So we built all these interesting tool sets for privacy protection, but 
even though we, our roadmap still has some super cool tools for us to still build, we also needed to build things that have a clearer commercial path. Uh, and, and the unfortunate thing is I've been in, and this is, I guess, the hard learning for me. I've been in, uh, I've worked on concepts that were ahead of its time, or, you know, people say, hey, you, were, you, may, you may not have been a good marketer. Possibly so. And I give them that one. Um, but I've worked, for example, on um, uh, collaboration concepts um, that were working in a browser about five years before a company like um, uh, Netscape picked it up. And actually, because <laughs> basically the, the core ideas they put in some, some of the email and threat readers, we worked on research five years before them. But it basically, if the market isn't where you are, you can't shout into the wind. It just will not work. Yeah. Um, that lesson to me was very painful. So here we are, um, we are kind of, I saw us repeating that. Mm-hmm. And so we actually looked at what we had built as a platform. And we've built a lot of things that dealt with very secure exchanges of, of information from point A to point B and a workflow engine that was very dynamic. Uh, and I don't know whether you're familiar with a company called Zapier, for example. Zapier? Um, Zapier is a, Z- a T. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. They do like um, online uh, integrations. Let's call it online integrations because yeah. I think that's what, what you would think of that um, model implemented in a common coding platform. Basically, you can actually have code from multiple people come and work together in order to build a dynamic workflow. Mm-hmm. And those, that's kind of the platform we've built for privacy execution so that we could create containers that worked independently and were supplied data to, um, and they could do any work that was assigned to them. Uh, to us, that meant we could actually do any work. Why were we, why were we restricting ourselves? And so we started looking out for, uh, especially with COVID where people didn't want to pay for, for the privacy models that we were offering and most of it was already free. So we're like, okay, we're making exactly the same amount of revenue one way or the other. Um, let's look at models that would pay, would, would generate revenue. We looked uh, uh, to some of the experience I had personally as well as doing some research into the Far East, like into uh, China, Japan, Korea, in terms of payment systems. And what we found is that they actually bypassed the card payment um, stage of uh, development. They went from straight cash to straight digital. And how did they achieve that? And what are the things that are working? What are the things that don't work? What are things that are difficult to do here? And we, we took those lessons and built a, a payment systems that used, I guess, the learnings from the Far East uh, with the convenience of uh, uh, need, needed for Europeans and, 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 and uh, Americans. And that is where I think the pivot happened. And we started that right when, um, like after the first few weeks of COVID, when we, could, when we could not see our model continuing in the way it was uh, we were initially planning. So you answered, you, an, uh, you asked one question and I answered probably 10 different ones. No, no, no. I, I think, I think uh, the most important bit is, is how I'm trying to just understand how, uh, how as a user, I'm going to monetize my own data, right? Oh, so, yeah. You, you're looking at the, uh, we call the privacy monetization. It's actually yeah. very simple. Um, we yeah. actually built facilities for both sites. 
Yeah. It's, it's not very simple. It actually requires a lot of work. <laughs> um, it, it's, you can say, hey, I am, I'm promote. I live, let's say, in uh, Belgium. Uh, which, which city would you say? Antwerp. 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 So, Antwerp. And this is my profile. I'm, I'm a male. I'm between these ages. Uh, and the company would say, I'm, I have a need for uh, persons of this profile. And one of yeah. them is basically European males living in Bel Benelux, basically in that region. We, we want their data to, uh, for, for marketing purposes for three months. And we are willing mm -hmm. to pay this. Mm -hmm. And okay. you, you basically both, we, we actually created a marketplace Mm -hmm. where you can look for companies and their offerings and the companies can in the, in, 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 on the reverse look at, at, at your offering. It's basically like an Amazon for data, uh, <laughs> if you will. And, yeah. uh, and, and part of the aspects that we build are more like a Tinder for data. But <laughs> we, <laughs> where, where basically you say, this is the contract, this is the use of the data. I am, I am this person. Um, it may be location data. I so said, you, you are allowed to track me between the hours of 7, and, uh, 7 a.m. and 5 p.m. every day. Mm -hmm. Because you, I'm the profile you want, you know, I have this education, this background, you want to track what people do in mm -hmm. Anverb. How am I going to get this? Right now, I'm going to cheat. I'm going to try to uh, put some a malicious app on your, on your phone or some, some, some way like that's nefarious to get the data. With Scooby yeah. is actually a very straightforward exchange. I subscribe to your data for the next three months. Mm -hmm. You're going to get, let's say, one euro every month for it. And that's, the, that's where the negotiation starts. The company makes an offer, you make a counter offer. If you meet yourself in the way that we have automated negotiation for both of you, boom, your contract is come into play and the data flows. And when the contract ends, the data stops. Mm -hmm. And then we, we have end of life cycle resolution, basically what happens afterwards, that's also contracted, but it's all automated. And yeah, I mean, and for for a certain certain types of data, perhaps that might be the mm -hmm. case. But but what if what if I'm in a big platforms like Facebook and 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 other big platforms where my data is already there, but uh, but then but then if 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 there is a possibility to sort of work with your company to say, hey, you know. I want to now start to monetize my data. Is that yeah. something that you are looking for as well? That was one of the plans we were trying to build. Uh, basically, we, we give, if once the con uh, one of the contract elements is your social data. Mm -hmm. So you can actually allow people to subscribe to your Facebook data through you rather mm -hmm. than through Facebook or through, through you rather than through Twitter. Mm -hmm. So we basically make the access happen, pipe the information as long as the contract is alive, and then when the contracts stop, obviously we also get the money for you. So there's basically, we got a, a, that's, that was one of the revenue elements. Um, we obviously participate in the money's revenue stream at the time when the contracts comes into play and uh, as the contract is alive. Uh, but the idea is all of a sudden, rather than just Facebook making money off you, you get to make money off you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, so the, that's, that, that's what I'm after. Like, you know, because, because if if I want to sell my data, you know, willingly, mm -hmm. uh, then then I should have a choice to do that, right? I yes. should have a choice, and I, I should have a means to do that. At the moment, I don't see that means, right? Like, yes. with, yeah, and and the, and the, the tools for consumers are horribly deficient, yeah. um, and and we were trying to bridge that gap, but but we are not we are not finding the uh, the willingness of the consumers to participate in a sufficient numbers for us to make sense. The, the, um, 
the marketing efforts required to get and break into the consumer attention span are incredible. Mm -hmm. So we, we have to survive, grow, and go back to privacy. Right now, mm -hmm. our focus is more on the payment elements and we are, our sales are more for a, a business to business type arrangements, but we haven't given up and the, 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 the notion and the vision of the companies to be a, a fair arbiter between um, companies and individuals is still there, right? We, we, we founded it with that, with that vision, said this is a gap. There, there is a power differential that's too big. And mm -hmm. so we can't have proper negotiation. What if we kind of try to make it an even ground for a, a, a proper negotiation that will work both ways? Fair use versus fair pay, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, that's that's right. That if you look at it in from that perspective, that, that's correct. And and then, um, as you said, like at the moment, like you have a, a certain stream that you're looking at more on the payment payment model. And what do you think about? Um, the scalability at the moment, what, what kind of challenges that you can think of as far as being, you know, scaled at, uh, you know, uh, into enterprises and, and so okay. forth? Okay, so the good news is the, the scalability concerns that I have are less technical mm -hmm. because I have uh, had the uh, misfortune of building different global systems because we, you know, we were selling like in, in uh, or we are creating things to be sold to enterprises in different countries. Why uh, I want to interrupt? Why do you say misfortune to create something? <laughs> um, because if if you underst understood the pain people had to go through to, for example, ah. deploy something globally, that yeah. you know that didn't mean necessarily go into the cloud. That meant you had to actually figure out where the data center is going to be located, figure out how the power goes there, the people, the internet connections that are redundant, and then basically manage the operations in a network operations center, um, mm -hmm. and whether it's outsourced or combined, and it a lot of headache. That means you are uh, on the phone. And I, I used to get calls at 3 a.m. in the morning because some, yeah. cu some customer had an outage completely yeah. opposite on the, on, on the world. And, and they couldn't get hold of anybody, right? So, we, you know, size restrictions that we have. <laughs> and, and then the call <laughs> tree came to me. <laughs> right? Lucky so, you. <laughs> yeah, lucky me. Um, so that has completely changed. So yeah. with the, when we, we are 100% cloud centric, that means we, we will not run uh, any of our own servers or services. It's all um, globally distributed with buttons, you know, button clicks, which mm -hmm. is far more convenient than A, getting all the capital to put into equipment and then put, put into locations and offices um, ar around the world. So that's why I said that that was a misfortune because it was super painful. Um, this, this in turn is super easy for the technology perspective, the, the actual distribution of um, services. Um, the, um, we chose a completely serverless paradigm, which means nothing runs until a actual request is made by the customer. You know, mm -hmm. the old paradigm that, and I don't know how technical your background is. Mm -hmm. I hope technical enough to understand, uh, you know, to understand that people used to stand up servers and certain software ran on, a, on this server and another so software on this server and they communicated. Um, mm -hmm. This is no longer the case in the application models that we built. We built um, uh, 
highly decentralized models that uh, have super, super small microservices that fire up like all across the board when they are needed and they can scale, uh, scale in milliseconds. So mm -hmm. that's why I'm saying that uh, if, we need, if going from one to one million is really milliseconds delay mm -hmm. rather than it used to be, oh God, we, I got to spin up more servers. That, that model still works. I got to spin up 20, 30, 40, 50 servers. There's minutes of delay in that even today. But mm -hmm. if you're talking serverless models, they can respond very quickly. But the application models that, that follow that we have to build on top on how to manage a process through all their interaction points are far more complex. And they don't follow what you learned in school or in that were so centric or based on a given uh, location of compute. We don't know where this thing is going to fire off. It doesn't matter. We, our servers don't have to have names because we don't have them. <laughs> they are compute instances that are virtually created and destroyed as processes run. Um, how do you track users through it? What are sessions? What are files? Even what is time are questions to be answered sufficiently in order for that to work as a coherent application. But once you've worked that out, it's pretty beautiful to watch. You go like, wow, look at that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and the way we did is fairly secure, um, actually incredibly secure. We can pipe transactions through our network that we have no insight about what they are. But we can still tell you it's successful. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's where the privacy piping and the modeling and the computation models that we built around are, to me as a technologist, are super, super exciting. Mm -hmm. Because I can compute something for you, which I have no idea what's in there, but I can still make the computation happen. <laughs> <laughs> and then give it back to you as a result. Yeah. And... Um... Coming back to the topic of the, the privacy, um, and uh, if, if you look at the, your client base now, or I, I don't know which stage you are at as far as you know, uh, the, the different types of clients, uh, it is more applicable to, to your service offering. Uh, which particular sector do you think is going to leverage more at the moment as far as B2B um, uh, clients are concerned? Um, when you say leverage, do you mean like using our platform or you mean using your platform? Yeah. Yeah. Um, we are seeing more interest in, in the retail side because yeah. I think they're looking for innovative solutions. Mm -hmm. Um, and in the hospitality side as well. Um, those are the two sectors that I can say, uh, have, uh, more clear defined needs that match up with what we can offer. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that business to business value proposition is easier to make mm -hmm. does that make sense yeah 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 because because then you have uh, a, a strong um bulk of uh, let's say user base right so you're you're, you're targeting a, a retail it means like uh, all the all the users that are associated with that particular retailer uh, is is coming to you directly yeah yes More or, or no yes yeah, yes no? or no <laughs> okay the, the, the reason i say yes and no because we we the, 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 the way the model works is we are completely white labeled. You wouldn't know you're using us. Okay. So, so we don't get direct exposure as we wish. You know, that's, that's, that's basically the next stage where we say, hey, why don't we um, get some, some elements of our brand um, to help you show people that you are caring about their privacy and so forth. But we are really looking at models that offer high convenience to retailers where people, if you think about, I, I, this is the interesting part. Let's start with the retail problem. Um, re the retail 
as we know it today has been in, invented in the industrial revolution and follows the factory model. <laughs> right? So, you know, everybody yeah. goes at the central place to go into the store. They ha they're expected to work a certain path and exit at a very central place. Mm -hmm. Right? That's the model that we've come using. You, you've been trained to use it. It's not like automatic. There's some training going on for customers yeah. to understand how to operate in that model. If you put somebody, let's say, uh, from 500 years ago into a store today, what would they be able to do? Right? Mm -hmm. So it's just because that yeah. was before factories. They, so, they, yeah. um, so that model worked until it didn't, which I think COVID taught, taught a lot of people that um, retail can also be a safety concern. And a lot of people have shifted their behavior quite heavily now to online buying, mm -hmm. right? People trying to, but it doesn't mean all retail is equally impacted from, from the research and from the information that we have. Um, certain retail operations like groceries, still okay. Mm -hmm. People have to go get food. Um, and then they, we have well, things it depends. like, <laughs> yeah, 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 they're, yeah, yeah, they're fully cooked, right? It's a different story. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, we have also the um, hardware stores where people like they're trying to fill time. They they're trying to discover things to do around their home. Then they engage in projects. So those those ele those elements or those sectors of retail doing okay comparatively. Everybody else is struggling for a new business model. And the current response that we see is actually we cannot imagine that to be working. And, and, the, and if you listen to the announcement of big retailers here, especially in the US, is they want to take a conservative approach. Conservative means basically they don't want to change much. They don't want to put too much inventory into their stores um, going forward for 2021 kind of season. So if you're a consumer, let's, let's put ourselves in the like, you, you understand that the store has even less inventory mm -hmm. um, and it's not going to have anything exciting what is your incentive to go shopping there? Yeah. And if that, the incentive is for uh, retailers to bring in people, we believe the experiences have to be different, mm -hmm. right? Just where you have to blend the online behavior, the, you know, where you discover stuff or when you can get help immediately with the physical world in a way that makes sense to the consumer today. Mm -hmm. And so that's the shopping model we, we, we build for retailers where people can walk in. They don't have to have a sign up account, pre-registration, nothing. So if you want to participate, let's say in, a, in, in the shopping experience, you want to check out anywhere in the store, you don't have to go to the front. We can do that for you. Mm -hmm. We can make the uh, experience branded and we can give people help where, where they need it, right? So you are looking at a shelf, like I'm looking at this chicken soup. What can I make with it? Hmm. Right now, the experience like becomes interesting. If I could press a button and get help from Promote, who is an expert in chicken soup, I'm not saying that you are. <laughs> <laughs> right? So the promoter, you know, chicken soup expert, promotes like, yeah, that's the best chicken soup. Why don't you look at adding this and this ingredient to your basket while you're right at the store? I can see it's there. Let me give you directions where in the store it is. You pick it up, you just check out where you are, you walk out through an exit check with where, if you, if you ever had a Costco experience, which is a, 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 a uh, or a BJ's experience, which is in the US, uh, I guess, larger quantity sellers, where you basically go through an exit check, they check your receipt. Um, mm -hmm. 
assume that we have an electronic version of that that's actually smarter. We will actually tell you what stuff to look at and which stuff to avoid and how to get people through your, and exit your store without any uh, uh, interruptions or with a lot faster pace so you can turn more transactions with the same number of employees. The experience changes quite drastically. Now I want to go into the store and explore whether what I can match this clothes with something else. What other colors can I pick with this? Let me ask as I'm shopping. People like that social element. They hate the factory element. So mm -hmm. let's give them something that they love and package it up so that they are interested coming back into the stores because otherwise we have expensive real estate that is not returning the value. And that's what we build with the retail experience. And that's why people are talking to us. It's, you know, like, and on top of that, they get all the privacy elements. Whoa, look at that. Because <laughs> as data is being exchanged between the end customer and the um, retailer, there are elements for security, how data is moved. We can build in permission bases for uh, follow on uh, sales and marketing that meet all the stringent privacy regulations that we are aware of in Europe and in the US, uh, but also give customers insight into where their data is. Mm -hmm. So, and, and, and when you are creating this experience, and of course, the, you know, you are also making this experience based on uh, some informations, right, so that you have uh, collected from the past, or you would have analyzed some form of data, uh, so that you could relate that particular experience to someone who is at the store or who is, who is trying to, you know, buy something, right? So, so still you, you're making that assumption based on the previous data or, or you're making that assumption on a real time? Like what are the, what are the elements that you look for in order to create that experience? Um, we interviewed retailers, um, but we also follow uh, retail uh, analysts mm -hmm. and actually I'm getting uh, uh, weekly download for here's the numbers, here's the expectations, here's what all these people have said about their um, operational decisions that are public and uh, going into the future. Um, so given that mix of stuff, it's not one source that gives us the information. Um, in our system, we really don't track people in particular. We will tell you how many transactions you're running. Obviously, you know that as well. Mm -hmm. And the data as that, that is required to be there in order for you to run the transaction is, there, you know, is the data that has to be there for the business. Um, it's part of it. It's not the whole thing. Um, mm -hmm. But um, we are clearly seeing that people are looking for a different experience. We're clearly seeing that they're looking, I call it for the three S's, which is security, safety, and simplicity as part of the purchase. Um, because that has been ignored for too long and that's what keeps people away. Mm -hmm. Right, because I was, I was thinking, you know, there must be somewhere, you know, you, you need to fetch data, right? So you're making the, the smart system in order to make smart system. You need some kind of data uh, to make it smart. Otherwise, it would just be a system, right? So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the, the data is available to... Yeah as you're interacting because that's part of the model and you know yeah. it's been disclosed up front and when you walk in through the store and you know you put something in your cart that data is available to to the retailer right like uh, yeah. uh, any any online retailer has cart abandonment similar things we you know we have cart abandonment people have put stuff in their you in their virtual cart but they didn't check out what happened and they paid up front why right so <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, they may only do cash, right? So, you know, they wanted to check out stuff or test it out. And, and that's what's that.
yeah. Okay, and um, and you you said like you are you have uh, people working for you from um, from Ukraine and also from India. Yes. Um, and uh, you know, of course, like you you already had the experience there, but at the same time, uh, you know, it's a different. Uh, time i would say you know uh it's not the regular time that we used to have in the past of course <laughs> so how do you how do you how do you sell the idea to to the people still right or how do you how do you motivate the the, the people that are working for you uh what are the recipe that you use in order to make that soup really spicy still you know if you like spicy by the way so <laughs> you know, my, my, my travels through india tell me that uh, you know I, I like spicy but i can't handle indian spice levels How's that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah the thing is like you know in in the in the let's say in the european region as well people are like okay i i i take i can take spice and then they start to go to the Indian restaurant or the, the first time ever are introduced to the Indian spice. Then, are there, then they feel uh, the real heat. So <laughs> Yes, yeah, no, I, no, I'm, I'm, I'm very honest, you know, whenever I'm, uh, you know, I was traveling. I, I, I've had um, many opportunities to be in India because of uh, what we're even doing in the past is uh, outsourcing. We, you know, I've, I have many Indian friends. Um, when we used to go out, I, I tell them, please don't do it spicy because that that by itself was super spicy <laughs> <laughs> the starting point <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> and because there's this, this, this the, the communication gap was like so profound They're like no what he really didn't mean that i like spicy right so maybe yeah, yeah. at the beginning like, you said like can you take spice yeah i can take spice you know maybe the conversation was like that right? so, <laughs> no, maybe i might have dropped it accidentally but, <laughs> but i understand that you know there, there's different perception of what that means and, and uh, I, I don't i don't even know where how we ended up over here um I think I was trying to answer a question, but please remind. Yeah, me. yeah, okay. I, I could, I could remind you. So, like I said, right? You know, you have operations in uh, right. in in India and also in uh, Ukraine, and, and like I said, it's a different situation now. And then, what what is that? What did you you, you say to your people? that keeps them motivated you know because it's 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 a it's a journey that 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 is very complicated now with the covid situation uh and i'm sure as an entrepreneur there are so many challenges that you have to deal on top of this one by the way uh, and uh, and and yeah what do you do to motivate the people so um the, it, it is it is challenging because they, they have different facets of covid being presented at them. India actually coming in late to the game where Europe was earlier. Um, and, you know, where, you know, where some of the shutdowns happening in, in Europe, we were, we were basically trying to um, work with the contractors there that, you know, were kind of hold up. They felt like, you know, they're kind of hold up in their place forever. Um, VA, give them a conversational outlet. We actually have a, a project manager, scrum, scrum master that is very good at having one-on-one -on -one conversation saying, what are you concerned about? What is the thing that we can do to help you? And how can we cheer you up? Um, and we, we do, um, we do go, go through that exercise to, to make them understand that even though we are remote, we still have a sense of connectivity and we have, we, we have a sense of purpose um, to build things and to do things together to make everybody's life better in the end. Um, and we can see sometimes, and especially right now with the Indian people that have had tremendous hardships because they, you know, they, the, 
the, the lockdowns were so drastic, so unexpected, um, where, you know, they're trying to, you know, all of a sudden, next day, I couldn't go, go anywhere. On the streets, you know, there were basically harsh punishments to be there. Um, we really had to make extra effort to keep the communication alive because we can't be there ourselves. You know, we can't give them a hand. We just say, can we, we can talk about it. Uh, please, we, uh, you know, feel free to reach out to us and have that one-on-one -on -one communication. But also the way we have always been is we, we lay out the problem to the team that this is what we're trying to solve. How can we get around solving this? It's not just a, I'm going to push this idea to you and you don't know nothing. So everybody has brains. Everybody has intelligence. And I think... Um, this, this is an interesting thing about, you know, Indian culture. Now, not the, 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 the stereotype there is, uh, and partially reinforced to my personal experience, is that you really don't speak up to authority, um, where you, you will say yes to anything in, in mm -hmm. just to, to appease. And we had to overcome that to say, you don't have to do that. Mm -hmm. you, you tell us if something's worked, you tell us if it, they don't work, gotta, you will not be punished for given us a, uh, an honest assessment. That's really not what we're after. We want to make the best product that we can as a team. And our approach has always been to keep the communication lines open, not just as a team, but also on a one-on-one, -on -one, uh, encourage people to communicate by our Slack channels uh, across the world, say, what did you experience? What do you see? And sometimes, you know, that's what we do. We start as, what do you see in your area? What is it that you see in, your, what is it that you see in, 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 in India uh, with this situation? And, you know, they're like, hey, my power is out. I don't know anything to do here. <laughs> I'm, I'm on phone. <laughs> you know, yeah. We're dealing with these situations uh, nearly every day where people, you know, um, have basic infrastructure problems that we're trying to overcome. But we make uh, efforts to have them understand that we are there to help them. It's not just we are expecting something and, you know, to be coming out of them one, one, one way. It's always a, a, a two-way uh, uh, approach from our part. Mm -hmm. So what is, what is challenging as an entrepreneur? Like, you know, what, what is the most difficult thing that, you know, come on, calm down. Uh, everything <laughs> is difficult. They're like you, you are breaking new ground. Like I, I, I used to say, like every time I, I look at somebody else's business, like that's easy. <laughs> <laughs> From the outside. Yeah, of course. Right. Like, like, that's easy. But, you know, as soon as you get into it, you're like, oh my God, these are 10,000 things I have to do. Um, in order to keep the business alive and operating and working towards a common goal. Mm -hmm. uh, the ongoing communication, um, the ongoing um, uncertainty as a small business, right? There's a lot of uncertainty we, we, we face as um, startups and entrepreneurs that we are maybe accustomed to, but most people that work here are not. Mm -hmm. we, we just have to buffer them about, uh, against some of it but I think you also have to break through, especially when it comes today, about the masses of misinformation slash information on the internet to show people that you are there, that you can make a difference, that you have a value proposition. That is probably one of the harder parts to overcome today as an entrepreneur. You got to get that buzz. And um, that is, especially if you're, like us, more builders and technologists, a very a thing that we always struggle with, and uh, hopefully we'll get better at it. That's all I can say. Better every day, uh, but 
everything is a, is something that we look at because many people wear many different hats. It's never um, a big company situation where we have 10,000 people and 5,000 do just marketing or, you know, <laughs> it'd be awesome, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> so you have to do everything because everybody has to do everything. So that's, um, that's the struggle of the uh, small business, but that also is what small, uh, what makes small business highly adapting or mm -hmm. adaptable and fast in adapting the very elements that, that make it, you know, like so uncertain also make it very flexible. <laughs> yeah. And nicely, nicely said, uh, because when, when I look at the, uh, small businesses, indeed, like, um, it is challenging to do everything, like even the smallest thing that you can think of, you know, maybe with a large corporation, you will have a separate department to do, right. even for the graphics, you know, so you will have a separate department, head of graphics or head of content or <laughs> right. some, exactly. some, you know, so in, in, the, in the smallest company, you know, of course, like you have to do everything. Um, um, and when you look at your, your own, um, workforce at the moment right if you think about you know of course like you're already working a very diverse sort of you know uh team uh from ukraine to india and perhaps from the us as well mm -hmm. so um what sort of what's your role of diversity uh in in the in the in the office space or in the workspace plays in order to create a, a solution that you're creating I think diversity makes us look outside the box that we live in. Uh, and I always believe that. Um, I think I am more the exception in the way um, I've built businesses because I've always been open to that. Um, all the entrepreneurs that I know, for example, in this region where I live, um, I would say about two, three percent are doing the things that I am doing in terms of being open to having a remote workforce that is not inside the same region. It's, um, I think they don't see that necessarily. They always talk about diversity. There's always a lot of talk, but the actual managing of it, understanding the differences in cultures, understanding the differences in communication styles and how you have to cross the bridges is not automatic. But the benefits are very clear to us because we can, you know, when, when we had a payment solution issue, it was like, we, we want to solve it like this. And then the Ukrainian guys were like, no, that's, that's BS. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm being nice yeah. about this one. Yeah. Like, yeah. we do it like this one in, in this way in the Ukraine. And, you know, and then I talked to a German guy, like, we're doing it like this here in Germany. So it's, it's um, that, you know, that bringing together of many facets of the same idea to, make things better that doesn't that doesn't happen if I'd only talked to the people in the US we would have solved it this way we would have gone all to the left side and said okay we didn't we don't need to worry about this well like when you talk to you people like no if you don't pay like that <laughs> <laughs> different <laughs> right so if, if if i think you you're you're making your life difficult long term because you're building things only for one facet of where we live in the global community and i know there's you know a lot of people saying hey you know uh, we should be all sticking to our own region and so forth but i think in the in, in overall businesses tend to be global even small businesses you compete with everybody you might as well be able to sell to everybody that's my my thinking model mm -hmm. 
Especially at this time when, you know, I was talking to one of the entrepreneur yesterday and he said to me very nicely that, you know, it's, it's an even field now for everybody, you know, it's, it's an even playing field. Right. Uh, and, and, and before, you know, obviously you had a physical presence at your store or your offices and so forth, and it made a difference, you know, or maybe you're from a certain reason, right? Um, so that, that made a slight difference uh, in terms of how you approach your customers or how the customer sees you, right? Uh, now everybody is online, so the, it's an it's a equal playing field, so anyone can, can do the job, you know, so. Um, you, you, you have great programmers in India and you have great programmers in Silicon Valley. Guess yes. what? They can't compete for the same job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. And um, so I, I think I've spent your one hour, but uh, what's the dream? What's the dream? Like, I, I think I would just like, uh, I, it was so quick with you, right? You know, just, <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> it's already one hour, you know? <laughs> I had too many questions, but that's okay. Um, so what's the dream for you now going forward? Um, we want to create a business model that can carry us forward so we can actually make the privacy roadmap happen that we planned. Mm -hmm. um, we had to stop and pivot because we, you know, given away everything um, and we still to this day do that. So if people want to sign up and, you know, do uh, privacy tools for their business or um, for their person, personal site, by all means. But at the same time, we needed to see a way for us to survive 2021. And so it's very right, important. Like, so we, we can't get there. And I think we, we want to build a system that combines both. We want to be able to um, run transaction, whether it's payment or non-payment safely through a system and make sure that both ends of the spectrum have full transparency. We want to give people tools to have better negotiation power uh, and, and businesses tools to use data fairly and be able to conduct their business more rapidly and, and uh, enable them uh, to do better and faster things. Um, mm -hmm. We want to be around to make that happen. Really, there, there are things that I personally am interested in in, in in the child privacy area. I can't build because I can't find the market for it. Mm -hmm. um, so if, if, if I had sufficient sustaining revenue on, on one side, I can probably invest in the other even without it. I, it's not, a, I think in the end, if you're just driven by profit alone, you're missing um, the opportunity in, on the social impact side. Um, and I do wish that we can build that. And we, we actually, and I didn't even mention it, we, we, uh, our, our mission is inclusive. We really want to build tools and services to make a better interaction between um, customers and businesses. We've, um, we have built uh, or we, we've sponsored a project to create a children's book to educate children's about, uh, children about online privacy before. Mm -hmm. um, and it is open out, out in, the, uh, in the market and, and selling to uh, schools for, that, for them to um, work with little children and educate them about what the dangers in online space are. Um, and basically that, that, that was not a profit motive and we did that, yeah. right? So, um, these are things that we hopefully can do more of. And uh, we also have tools that are not free yet, but if we can um, build more on the commercial side and in, in, in the payment space, they will become free. And that, mm -hmm. that's, for example, a goal for our fundraising tools where, you know, like nonprofits that uh, require money have very, uh, I don't want to call them poor tools, but tools um, that are either overblown or not in, not insufficient. So they, they, there's that middle space where the tooling is poor, where we where we have actually things that 
uh, we want to make available. The question is, you know, can I look at the business model and allow that to happen? Mm -hmm. So our dream is to make it a better place. It kind of seems uh, uh, a, a overstated, too, uh, I, I, too idealistic. <laughs> like you know, like why, why? Um, yeah. But have enough impact that everybody that works in the team can see that their products matter. Their products matter because. Every day they, they, they could refer to a story where, you know, somebody's like, hey, look, I, I had this organization that raised, that raised money for hungry children and I was able to help them. Or I, I had these consumers that, you know, all of a sudden lost um, so much um, financial information to this company and they never had a way of uh, expressing the, uh, you know, the impact on them. Now they can. Uh, or... Uh, the retailer gets more people into their business and they survive. And that basically has a circle of impact and then cycles of impact for their employees, their employees, families, and so forth. Um, we want to be a good business. Is that, is that a bad motivation? Well, that, that's, a, that's a great motivation, right? So that's a, that's the, that's a dream you want to chase. You know, I mean, of course, like, you know, you, you also make, want to make the revenue and you mentioned like, um, you know, to just add one more question before I let you go. Um, uh, you mentioned about the uh, the child privacy and then you know how how to work with that, right? This is mm -hmm. this is an interesting thing that you just just brought brought up. Um, I was thinking something like that in the past, like why don't we have something like that that exists? Because there's so much so much going on in the internet, and as soon as you put things on the internet, mm -hmm. like it's there, right? Um, <laughs> and, yeah, it's there forever. <laughs> it's never gone, right? So, um, so you know, are there any thoughts already on how to accomplish that? You know, yeah, we, we have a we have actually an interesting product feature roadmap that would take us about, I would say, uh, twelve to eighteen months to build, and that involves many different elements, including how children interact with games on the internet and how parents are involved in it and basically granting data access, removing data access, even as the children grow up on, on, in, in terms of becoming more responsible and adult, how the data migrates to them. Um, and that come in combination with school authorities, with government authorities for oversight. So there, there, we had a big vision on that area, um, but you know, the, the, the funding has to follow and it has yeah. to be consistent over time. We believe everybody has to participate. I think parents just leaving stuff for the children on the desk and um, it, it's just gonna be an ins insufficient way um, for you to safeguard children's privacy. Um, we believe the system has to involve solutions from the parents with the children, with the schools, um, and it has to be completely transparent and manageable by everybody. And mm -hmm. I can walk through, the, I have like multi-hour presentations just on the roadmap that we were going to build if we had had sufficient funding slash revenue to make it happen. We had to put it on the back. You burner. had to park that. <laughs> yeah, we, it's, it's one of these ideas where like, yeah. it would be fantastic to do because it's needed. Mm -hmm. I still to this day don't see anything. Um, and I'm always um, disappointed to see how, you know, school software, you know, takes children's data sells it to the highest bidder. I was like, yeah. oh God, again, right? So these are things that we're trying to prevent. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, we, we don't have the tools for it and we can't build it because there's, uh, there's no money in it at the moment. 
Yeah, and also the the the, the way uh, you know children interact with the gaming um, you know softwares or or even watching uh, certain videos. I, I'm sure there's a way where we can we can you know uh, find a way to to protect the privacy of a certain you know maybe you already have figured out the roadmap like you said you know <laughs> we, we have elements i don't know whether we have all the solutions for sure but yeah. we, we we do have um we, we call them authorized uh entities that can that can make certain things happen but everybody's informed that when that happens for example a school can act on behalf of a child sometimes parents can act of, of course on behalf of their of their children um, but the children can also act on their own behalf when they get old enough, right? You don't want to preclude them from the solution because the idea is if they, if, once they get older, they want to access their data. What happens to that? Is it all getting erased? Um, mm -hmm. No, that control has to flow back to them. Um, so we have different participants with different roles in, in an ecosystem that we believed had success chances. From the perspective of actually managing the data, the the problem is the financial model, which we haven't quite figured out yet. Mm -hmm. All right. Okay, uh, Bilal. Yes, sir. Thank you very much for this time. Uh, did I pronounce your name well? Bilal? You did. Yes. Okay. Yes, okay. Perfect. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I try my best to pronounce the way it, it should be. You know, in the, in, the European, in the European region, people are quite sensitive about their names. <laughs> I've I've heard it in many different uh, iterations and, and variations. So I'm, as long as you look in my directions when you when you say it, I'm, I know it's me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, yeah. Okay. Thank you so much once again, and I really hope that your your company would. Uh, get a lot of success you know I'm, I'm sure the challenges of that you know I'm aware of the challenges and that's this that's evident um, but nevertheless I'm hopeful that you know uh, in this in the six months to a year like we will we will see each other on the other side of the COVID <laughs> I, I hope hopefully. so I really do yeah. hope so I think um, hopefully the our, 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 our goal is to emerge as a stronger entity um, when, when everything is over <laughs>